once the tree of death was eaten of and their nature changed, the nature of the planet changed and the nature of man changed, then the tree that was forbidden was the tree of life. Why? What were the clues that you saw there in Genesis 3, 22 and 24? Why was the tree of life now taboo? Yes. Death was the opposite of their, it, it was their existence, and it was the opposite of what it had been. It was now part of the scene. And what would have happened had they eaten then of the tree of life? Okay. It would have been a permanent death, a permanent position or condition. The condition of death would have been sealed. That's the implication, is it not, of what is there in the scripture. Now, if they eat of the tree of life, then therefore live forever. Live forever dead. Live forever separated from God. Wow. In other words, an eternal death. Existence, but existence separate from God. Sealed. Okay, now, what does that say about the effects of both of these trees. They are absolute. The consequence of the tree of death, absolute. The consequence of the tree of life, absolute. In other words, if they had eaten of the tree of life after they'd eaten of the tree of death, God was not prepared to lift the consequence of that, of death. Because he mm-hmm. And he wasn't prepared to live the, uh, lift the consequence of life, eternalness. Either one of these trees, he was not willing to change the consequence of it. They're absolute. So what does that suggest about what these two trees really are? Because they govern something, don't they? I mean, they govern all existence. They govern all existence. Pardon me? Yeah, and, and, it, and it's set... God in the absence of God. What did you say, Becky? They are, and they're coming out of, yes, both, but because they're, they're irrevocable. And they're universal. They cover all of the planet and all of mankind. 
They're universal in their effect or their consequence. They're irrevocable. I think that these two trees, and you know, this is not something I can put in dry cement, but I believe these two trees are two spiritual laws that govern the running of the spiritual universe as profoundly as the laws of gravity and centrifugal force govern the running of the physical. He wasn't prepared to lift the consequence of either one of these if they both came together. It was an eternal, irrevocable merger. And so, if he wasn't willing to lift the consequence of it, then what the earth came into once this happened is this shadow of the tree of death, but it's not permanently fixed because the tree of life was removed from Adam and Eve. And that was the only hope of mankind because if these are laws, they, they're laws that came out of the spirit, the absolute spirit nature, the spirit nature of Satan and the spirit nature of God. And they are not something that can be made an exception to because both beings are absolute. So it has put us out from underneath the shadow of the tree of life. We're not there anymore. Eden is the shadow of the tree of life. Eden was in the shadow of the tree of life. We are now in, in death's shadow. Now, where did Eden go, by the way, here in Genesis 25. Then what happened to it? It didn't go anywhere? It was removed from our access. We no longer could access spiritual. We could no longer see spiritually. Adam and Eve could no longer see spiritually. They were physical. So it was removed from the access of physical man. It didn't go anywhere. It just is in a different dimension. A dimension that we can no longer access because we are now physical. We are in a realm where logic and reason exist now and guide us. And we have our five senses to help us uh, determine the reality that we live in and make decisions. Because we are now under the shadow of death. We are now in a physical realm. But what is the significance that at the beginning, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of human history, there stands a tree of life. Yes. That's what it had to be. Because he had already provided for us. He, the tree of death, that's an absolute. When we ate that, that's an absolute. But he had the tree of life, 
as provision that would be on the other side, and it means that the ultimate reality here is spirit. The ultimate reality is, let me get down here, is spirit. But it's still our choice. It has to be our choice. There, that's it. What has been swung away by the free will choice of man must be swung back by the free will choice of man. We make the same choices that Adam and Eve made every day. <laughs> the exact same. It's not. We can't lay down. No. I think it probably would have happened sooner had I been there. <laughs> you know. Why, Terry? Get this thing. Get going on this. <laughs> uh, Shirley, were you wanting to say something? Well, the thing is, free will means that there is the possibility, even in heaven, there is the possibility of choosing yourself over God. God didn't create evil, he created choice, free will. And in heaven, the angels get to choose. Any being that is in relationship with God has to have by virtue of God's nature, choice. So the very fact that choice was available to the angels meant that out there in this benign alternative, one could decide to go their own way. And yes, you know, we can get into a debate about, well, God knew, and so it's all his fault. But that is where logic and reason comes against spirit, and spirit makes no sense, and logic and reason can out-debate spirit. Because spirit doesn't work by logic and reason, only we do. We're here with logic and reason in this fallen world, and we're trying to debate God about why this good and perfect God, it's his fault. And Satan can use that, we can use that, and we can trump with logic and reason just about anything we want to trump in the spirit realm because God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Yes, yes, the woman that you gave me, 
And Satan is, in Revelation 12, the accuser. He's accuser of me with other people, of me before God, and he is the accuser of God before man. And so, I mean, yes, we can, we can bring it down and finally say, okay, declare with, with Adam, which was excellent, that it's God's fault. But if we want to align ourselves with the one who is truth, we can just say, you know, I don't have to understand all of that. I think there are things, and I'll just, I'm not going to go any farther than this, but I think that there are things that happened before Genesis 1, 2, chapter 1, verse 2, that we can't even comprehend, that set up a lot of these things that are in motion that we say, well, it's God's fault. And, and I think that that's where faith has to come in. Exactly. You want them to choose whether it's a friendship, you know, or a spouse, or whatever it is. You want them to choose to be in that relationship. And, you know, the, the intellect part of us a lot of times can really think that. That's right. We can paint ourselves into a corner. That's exactly right. But that's also part of the faith of just believing that God didn't have to do any of this. That's it. And so the absence of God then is uh, evil. It is hatred. It is corruption. Yes, it is a choice. And you're right. We can paint ourselves into a corner. But here's the thing. Once, once the spirit was obscured from us so that we can't access it, the spiritual realm, then everything here under the shadow of this death tree is draped. It's veiled. Just look at some of the scriptures. Turn to Amos 3.7 toward the end of the Old uh, Testament. Let's just look at some of the scriptures that, that show us what we already know. Amos chapter 3, it's on the, to the right of Daniel and Joel, verse 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. In Daniel, remember what Nebuchadnezzar said to Daniel? Your God is a revealer of secrets. He reveals his secrets to the, prof to the prophets. Uh, turn over to Romans 16.25. If I can get over there, I know it's here. I can't seem to get between Acts and Corinthians. Okay, Romans 16.25. These are just a few. 16.25, now to him that is of... Um, 
that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. The mystery of how God was going to retrieve the world. It was kept a mystery so that Satan couldn't get it figured out. 1 Corinthians 2, turn just to the next page. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world, and he's not talking about world human rulers. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Princes. Spiritual rulers. None of the spiritual rulers of this world knew, for had they known it, had they known this mystery, they would never have crucified Christ, the Lord of glory. Never crucified him. Why would that be? If they had known the mystery, they would have let Christ die an old man. That's why it was hidden, so that Satan couldn't get it figured out. So that God had this track to swing the planet and mankind back to paradise. And had Satan understood that, he would have done things completely differently. Um, turn to Colossians 1, on over there to the right, several books, verse 27, to whom God would make known, okay, back up, I need to do a lead in, I'll, I'll lead in starting with verse 25 of chapter 1 of Colossians. Wherefore, I am a, a minister of Christ, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hidden Christ in us is the mystery. Second Corinthians three thirteen. Turn back. I had no real make sure I'm in the right. 1, 2 Corinthians 3.13. I had no real rest in my spirit because I found, I did not find Titus, my brother. I want to make sure it's not 1 Corinthians. I'm sure it's not 1 Corinthians 3, but that for some reason is not looking right. Let me make sure that I'm not missing. No. Um... Now thanks, babe, verse 14, now thanks, oh, I'm in two, that's why, okay. 
Chapter 3, Brenda. It's too dark in here. Okay. And not uh, as Moses in verse 13 of, of uh, 2 Corinthians 3. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look uh, upon his face, but their minds, the, the minds of the Pharisees and the Jews here, their minds were blinded until this day remain, and until this day there remains a veil that has not been taken away uh, from the reading of the Old Testament, which a veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is still on their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall, they shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. There is a veil. There is a veil of seeing in this planet, on this planet. There is a veil spiritually. Uh, there is a mystery. So there is a veil, a mystery, secrets. He reveals his secrets to the prophets. And there are parables. Let's turn to Matthew 13 and see. Read that next verse 17. Yes. We're talking about the Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Freedom from the veil, in a sense. Thank you for picking up on that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom from this veil. And it just emphasizes the Lord is that Spirit. He's that. that Exactly, exactly. And so then you come over to Matthew. Thank you for sharing that. Matthew 13. We'll start with verse 10. If I can just get to Matthew 13. want to wind up reading in a different chapter than like I did a while ago. And the disciples in verse 10 of chapter 13 of Matthew came and said unto him, why do you speak in parables? He answered and said, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but not unto these others. Jump down to verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they see not and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And jump down to 34 and 35. All of these things Jesus spoke unto the multitudes in parables, and did not speak without a parable, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the earth. But he utters them in code that only faith can penetrate. Only faith can understand. Only those who have the Spirit hovering over them or in them can free them to understand. That's why he spoke in parables, so that Satan and his henchmen would not catch the message. Not just those without faith, but those other spirit beings lurking about. Now, 
we looked last time at why Jesus had to come. Why Jesus is the only way. And briefly and quickly, it goes back to the nature of God. Let me do this. The nature of God is just. And if God, and righteous, and if God made a law, it is a righteous law. It is a good law. It is a perfect law. And if that law is broken, and the man eats at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then the consequence of breaking that law must be fulfilled because he is a just God. His justice demands that the consequence be met. And the consequence was death. That had to be paid because he is just. And he can't just erase a righteous law and make a more righteous law. With what would he replace a righteous law? With what would he replace a law that was good and perfect? How much better can he get? Would he then replace it with a law that's compromised, that's not quite as good because we have to deal with fallen men now? If you compromise, if, if this God who cannot deny himself, cannot act contrary to who he is, decides to be contrary to who he is, then there is no more, as we looked at last time, source in all the universe for that, that attribute. If he compromises his holiness, there is no holiness anywhere because he is the sum of all holiness and he is the source of all holiness. So he can't compromise his holiness to accommodate now in an eternal relationship an unholy man. One that's flawed and blemished. She can't do that. He has a holy fire that goes before him that destroys anything that's not holy. Exodus uh, 33. 32. Pardon me. Exodus 32. So death was the consequence. This came from his justness. And this justness requires that the one who broke the law pay for it. And who broke the law? Man. But if man pays that consequence, there's no redemption. There's no retrieval. So God is love. He is just. He is truth, but he's also love. And so he said, I will pay that for them, but I can't pay it as God. I have to pay it as man because man must pay that price. So there is no other way under heaven by which man may come to the Father except through Christ Jesus who was fully man. And he made a decision in the wilderness temptations to set aside his divinity and not access it for his own purposes. So he walked here as man, not accessing what he could have accessed. Not ever turning a stone to bread when he was hungry. Not ever calling forth water when he was thirsty. He let other people meet his needs or he let his father meet his needs. So he came as Jesus, the man, born of a virgin, so he didn't have 
the generational sin line that passes through the father from generation to generation. He had the sin capacity, but not the sin requirement. We are all born under the requirement of sin. We will all sin. He didn't have that generational line because his father was his heavenly father. But he had the, he had the capacity to sin because his mother was human. But Jesus is then the one who had to come. A man for paying the consequence, but a man who lived perfectly so that he, uh, he overcame the curse of sin in the flesh because he lived perfectly in the flesh. So here we have then the cross. Now, if this, these are laws, then the thing that we have to understand here is and be reminded of, we are now living in a fallen planet. We are living in a world that is draped and, the, uh, and veiled so that there is a veil between us and God and understanding the mystery. The only way to live here in a spirit sense is by faith because everything is obscured. We, we can't walk by sight and understand the spirit realm. We can't see that. So faith is the requirement in this realm. It is not logic and reason. It is faith because we live, we see through a glass darkly and we live in a veil, we live in a mystery, we live in a secret, and wherever we're walking in the dark, we have to have faith. It's required. So everything is turned topsy-turvy from the logical and reasonable existence that we have in our physical realm. But if we want to access the spirit realm, we have to access it by faith and by prayer. It's the only way. So you have then here Christ, the God, and Jesus, the man, coming to pay to fulfill the law. Remember what he said in Matthew 5, um, 17? He said, don't think that I'm come to destroy the law. I'm come to fulfill it. What law is that that he came to fulfill? The law? Uh, the Mosaic law, yes, but that's not the biggie. The biggie is the law of sin and death. Remember in, in Romans 7, it talks about what, in, in actually Romans 8, turn there, it gives the name to it. In Romans 8, verse 2, for, for the law of the Spirit, um, well, I want to go down to verse 3. For what the law could not do, the law of Moses, in giving us the Ten Commandments and how to live and what we were supposed to do and not do, what that law could not do because it was weak through the flesh, 
God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And verse 2, I did need to read verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. I think that goes back to this tree. It was a law of sin and death. And the Mosaic law was The Mosaic law was purely physical. Yes. Yes, so it... it it could only maybe corral the physical sometimes. That's exactly right. The law, I'm, I'm repeating this for purpose of the, of the tape, the law, the physical law of Moses just could make us aware that we weren't going to be able to, to live that way and to do it. Yes, absolutely. It was physical. So we need a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has the power to break us free from the law of sin and death. This veil that we live under, this veil of darkness that we live under. Now, here is, (laughs) there is so much here. What does Peter call the cross? And in Galatians 3.13, might just go ahead and turn over to the right to Galatians 3.13. It's alluded to. It says, uh, cursed is anyone who does what? Hangs from a tree, hangs on a tree. 1 Peter 2, if someone wants to turn to that, verse 24 Would someone read that? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds he has been This is called a tree. It is a third tree. A third tree. And it has as powerful and profound an implications for the planet, the physical planet, and mankind as those two trees in Eden. The cross is the third tree. Now, what part of Eden does the cross represent? It represents the tree of death. Christ died on it. Do you all know how agave plants reproduce? Agave plants, anyone who's worked in the garden down here with this agave plant, do you know how they reproduce? There's a root that comes from the mother agave plant, and it produces, it, it pushes up on the surface a little baby agave plant, but it's connected. Oh yeah, thousands upon thousands. <laughs> This is what we're looking at here with the cross. The cross is a root from this this tree of death in the garden. It's the result. It is the fulfillment of the law. Well, we're going to look at that here in just a second. Yes, it is. But it required, this is the direct result. The cross is the direct result of the tree of death. 
that Christ had to fulfill that broken law, the law of sin and death. And he had to live in his body of flesh perfectly to break the law of sin, and he had to die to break or fulfill, not to break, but to fulfill the law of death. He fulfilled it. He didn't come to break it or destroy it. So I misspoke there. I got behind my mouth. He fulfilled it. It is from the root of the tree of death. But turn to um, Isaiah. Now, I'm, I am here at Isaiah 11, which is exactly where I needed to be. Okay, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of God. He is a branch. It's capitalized. Is somebody there at Jeremiah 23, 5? Okay, it's capitalized. He will raise up a branch. Turn over to chapter 33, verse 15. In those days and at that time I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David. And you go on over to Zechariah 3, 8 and 6, 12. Zechariah 3, 8 is toward the very end of the uh, Old Testament. And now, hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, and your fellows that sit before you, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And this is in all caps, the branch. And you go on over to chapter 6, and this is real interesting, verse 12. And speak unto him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Christ is the branch, and he has built his temple in us. And he makes possible the return of the heavenly temple to earth. He will build his temple. Now, what is he a branch of? I think he is a branch of the tree of life. Grafted in to a tree of death. A branch from the tree of life grafted in to a tree of death. What happens in the physical realm when you graft a branch from a completely... Galen? The top becomes the tree. Okay. The tree is the branch. It's what the tree becomes. And, yes. And it, it creates a whole new fruit. It's a different fruit. It changes the tree. When he was nailed into that piece of timber, he was grafted in, literally, to the tree of death. And so what is this new tree that he 
created. It is absolutely essential passageway. You have a tree of life and a tree of death. This third tree is what? It's a passageway, but what name could we put to it? When life encounters death and overcomes it, it's resurrection. This is a tree of resurrection. So that the death, the, la the, the, the life root, and in a sense, the death root intertwine in resurrection. Because you see, pain and suffering will not be lifted here. In this world, you will have tribulation. The nature of this world now is that we are fallen. The nature of this world is that death and suffering do happen. And he said, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. How did he overcome it? By entering into it. How did he overcome death? By entering into death. How did he overcome sin? By entering into flesh and living sinlessly. How did he overcome hell and have the keys of hell in his hand in Revelation 1? By entering into it and coming back out of it. That's the rule now of this new era of resurrection. We are in an era now of resurrection. Where we don't run from the pain and suffering, but we turn and walk into it in the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free. Yes.